Blog Talk Radio. Essential Listening, Poetry Online Radio showcases a vast number of voices from around the world. Today, we celebrate World Poetry Day 2021. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Enjoy the program. The world needs an anthem. There are one like five countries in the world today, and we are all interconnected at a climbing level. Alatiche sees a world that calls for an anthem and so do many other people across our today's world. They have all said our time will come. We are our lives, and we do all we can to save our own. Our hearts beat for the coronavirus victims. The world needs an anthem. If you ask who I am, but which local I am, I will simply say that I am people's. I'm a local of the world. If you ask where I stand, or what grounds I stand upon, I would simply say that I stand for the world. I stand for peace, faith, unity, and progress. If you ask what I see, I see interdistant countries and faraway lands. I see our doctors, nurses, and carers on the front line. I see architects and builders from around the world building bridges, the binds, and the roads that connect. Yeah, it's a dream. We fly around the world. We fly around the sky. We are together. We are stronger now. Yeah, it's a dream. We fly around the sky. There is a song singing now. I wake from bed, and there is still a song singing now. I hum to myself. In the showers, it dawned on me that this old world needs an anthem. Our beautiful world needs an anthem. Our beautiful world needs a song. We want to dance. This beautiful world needs an anthem. We match for a purpose. I have never seen my skin on your skin, but I see myself in you. I see you in myself. You are my brother now. You are my sister now. I hear languages. I see beauty in our diversities. Things fall together, and the center begins to hold. Love is growing on every lawn. Love builds in every home. This world needs an anthem. I see neighbors all around the world joining in, singing this blissful song, singing the same notes to the same songs. Together nice are the chorus in the songs. There is a fall of rain. There is hope in our world. I see the future lights. I see all of us together frolicking with the same songs. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the World Poetry Day celebration. The poem that you heard... The World Needs an Anthem was written and performed by poet Alatisha Kowale from Abuja, Nigeria. Given all that has happened to us recently, I agree with Alatisha that the world does need an anthem. I further contend that the world needs a poetry anthem, an anthem that, according to Irina Bukava, Director General of UNESCO, stated it should be arranged in words and colors, overflowing with metaphor, coated with rhyme, and struck with the right meter. Today's program is a tribute to poetry's power, 
to sway us from the confines of everyday life and to remind us of the beauty that surrounds us and the resilience of the shared human experience. I am joined today by five acclaimed and award-winning poets. These folks will lift their voices and add to the course of others observing World Poetry Day around the globe. I give you now my new friend, Sandy You know. Thank you so much, Michael, and um, what an honor to be with all of you listening and reading and celebrating World Poetry Day all around the globe, and I couldn't agree more that the world does need an anthem. I'm going to begin with um, a poem that actually will take us to Rafa. Uh, in the Gaza Strip, and also to Belfast, Ireland. Uh, I work at the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, and this poem is about a student who on March 16, 2003, actually made quite a bit of um, unfortunate news, but her life and her subsequent death has continued to surface the need for social justice and peace everywhere around the globe. This is a Sistina called Let No One Stand Alone for Rachel Corey, 1979 to 2003. The day I reconnected with evil again, driving south on I-5 to escape my own mini-series of headlines in Bellingham, the news from Rafa broke, horrific like all history emerging that day she had died, clutching fistfuls of dirt that day when she stood her ground alone, bulldozer, an American college girl, a standoff, March 16th. 2003, and National Public Radio reporting that evil had prevailed in not so many spoken words. Outside of Everett, I clutched the story's every word and the steering wheel harder than a car owner should, my knuckles turning whiter than history recorded, each mile driven bringing news of worse news as Western Washington blurred by a caterpillar, D9R now news, conflicting reports as the operator keeps standing by his story that he never saw her, like all of history buried, a corpse shouldering its dirty shot glasses of evil, like everything that history swallows and disowns to keep its truth underground, soiled, all those clutch plays for convenient blindness, the way a small girl might clutch a stolen chocolate bar in her not-so-naive fist, the news that Sunday afternoon so disorienting that I couldn't own it over all these years. And for days after, everyone I knew stood shell-shocked on the campus bricks, mourning that something so evil could befall upon an Olympia family community in spring. We became history unforgettable in those distorted, budding days. And history would repeat weeks later when a friend originally from Belfast clutched his armchair's armrests like the side of a lifeboat 
to survive evil's swells just hours after speaking at her memorial. He tried to keep 1980s news from north of Ireland at bay so as not to confuse everything he stood for from everything crumbling beneath Rachel's own shore feet. But he couldn't distinguish his own grief over losing Bobby Sands' sister, whom he loved, from this new history, still fresh in his mind, like butchered meat. He couldn't stand anything now resembling the girlish present. And clutching his mug handle, I witnessed a man unraveled by more than news. While we drank strong Irish tea, his heart having been evil's good next-door neighbor for too long. He stood up, alone, clutching his own singular history, weeping, wishing Rachel had made her story, in hindsight, farther away from the news and from that man-made blade of evil. So that is a poem uh, in memoriam to Rachel Corey, and um, I sh actually shared it with her mother this past week. Um, they, her mother and father started the Rachel Corey Foundation for Peace and Social Justice in Olympia, Washington. And um, given that I, I've had some connections with them over the years, I felt it was appropriate. It took me a long time to write the poem, but uh, a friend in Ireland was having a book launch and we were having a, a uh, he asked, would people come and read a poem to support Palestinian rights? And that request prompted me to write this poem after 18 years. Well, I'm going to take us directly to the, the present in the pandemic. Uh, it seemed appropriate on World Poetry Day to not, uh, to not forget what the past year has been about, and that on World Poetry Day, we were just um, in the beginning grips of the pandemic, and I was was starting what would be six weeks of being stranded in Missoula, Montana. And so this is a poem that is in homage to the poet Richard Hugo after his poem, Six Degrees of Separation in Phillipsburg. And this is called Degrees of Isolation in Phillipsburg after Richard Hugo. At the entrance to the Phillipsburg Cemetery, the worn down signs read, all ground flowers and trinkets must be removed 10 days after Memorial Day, and please, no dogs allowed. This Sunday-soaked April afternoon, more people inhabit the ground here than downtown, where the world's greatest candy store has closed until further notice. Granted, those among the well-groomed graves are aged, all under chalky grass, some since early last century. So Richard Hugo knew best when he wrote in 1973, Isn't this defeat? So accurate, the church bell simply seems a pure announcement, ring, and no one comes. I stare at the lone shut-in librarian through the library's glass-paned door. The books heave their sighs alongside her. Everything and nothing now in this world is overdue. 
In Phillipsburg, the sun keeps breaking through the intermittent gray. Hugo knew this because he stood here once, writing all the populated desolation down. But today, there's few here to notice, except the despondent bar owner, keeping his social distance, grumbling to a patron-turned-friend about the governor and his stay-at-home order. The bar keeps built a decent business at convincing people not to drink at home alone. Now that's in jeopardy. At least Sherry's Pies is still selling homemade pastries and biscuits and gravy for takeout, although no one is biting. With nothing open except the big sky above us, we might as well head back to Missoula, leaving Phillipsburg alone. But if I die here in Montana, far, far from my hometown Atlantic's blue swells, please bury me here in Phillipsburg with plenty of trinkets. Well, as I said, it felt appropriate to, uh, I think most poets have, have, uh, have been compelled to write um, something connecting to their experiences um, in the pandemic. I meant to also talk a little bit about how um, the present also always connects us to the past and history. And the, the, the Irish poet Ivan Boland has spoken so eloquently about the difference between the past and history um, and we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of her passing, so I, I wanted to, to pay homage to her and uh, by mentioning her today. And my next poem is going to actually take us to 1912. I've been studying the Titanic disaster of 1912 for many years, and my debut collection of poetry Boats for Women from Salmon Poetry, published in County Clare, um, has its first section connected to that maritime disaster as, long, as well as many others. And the reason I wanted to share the title poem with you today is because the Titanic disaster was one that truly um, affected the world um, through because the passengers were from all over the world. It was not only the, a ship of luxury, but it was a ship of immigration. Um, and this title poem harkens back to um, that, that day and night in 1912. And this is the title poem to the collection, Boats for Women. Yes, the boat sank. Yes, it broke into like a stereotypical heart. Before it plummeted to depths, no one could measure. Until 70 years later, technology caught up and looked its ancestor in the face. Yes is the way the years oxidize the steel. And yes wipes the name Titanic off the bow. Yes are the lifeboats, the davits the call for women and children first. Yes, are the men who cry from the decks. Sometimes when I kiss her, I am leaving a yes on her lips to remind her that I will go down with this ship. Sometimes when she whispers yes, she is staying on board. But there is always room in the lifeboats for two more women 
Yes is the fact that if we were alive on that night, we would have lived. So uh, my book, Votes for Women, um, was finished in, originally in 1998. It took, um, tw it took 21 years to publication. And I'm very, very grateful for Salmon Poetry and my editor, the, the, the incomparable Jesse Lendenny, for um, taking a chance on this collection. The themes of it are basically silence, disaster, desire, and hope. And I think that those, those very large containers of themes are ones that we certainly are inhabiting today um, in so many ways with the pandemic, with politics, and uh, with our quest for, um, and our quest for peace and our necessary um, desire to keep hope alive. Poetry is an incredible container for that. And I hope that all of you will continue to use poetry to boost your spirits and your consciousness and your quest for justice where you are in the world. I would like to end with um, a poem that I would like to dedicate to all of you. And this is in the fourth section of Boats for Women called Manifesta. These are declarations of the most intimate kind, the ones you kiss into your pillow through the concentric night until you wake to feel the presence of the beloved arriving from the other room, even though she is three states or 11 miles away. In this moment of half-lucid dream, the distance stands before you, irrelevant as desired new boots. Alone in bed, which side to exit to the floor of today matters less. You've made the choice to turn toward a sacred face, a turn toward your own longing to live, to meet the day head on, not so much a collision as a delicate fusion of strangers now becoming known in this compressed space, the new feels misplaced, like keys lost for weeks. Beloveds, 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 punch your time cards, your optimism tickets with restless tears to clock the moment you tattoo your present name to your forehead, a reminder that you'll look in the mirror with wonder each morning see yourself and remember that the beholder is the eye of grace. Thank you so very much, Michael. I'm looking forward to all the rest of the poets and to everyone, peace, love, and poetry on this World right. Poetry Day. <laughs> Thank you, Sandy, for your fantastic work. Comments for Sandy. Thoughts or comments for Sandy? from your colleagues. Uh, amazing. I, I, I was blown away by that. Um, 
the sheer the sheer um, the sheer uh, positivity uh, within her poems um, is, is, is very palpable and strong and so. I agree Absolutely. with you. Uh, I agree with you, Heath. <laughs> Sandy, Sandy is, Scott, Sandy I just wanted uh, to... Yeah, yeah, sorry. I can't believe it took 21 years for that to be published. I mean, all, all of those were amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, Beautiful. Kudos. I tell you, that you just knocked out of the park. I, I, I'm going to have to look deeper into your, your work. Sandra, you're known. Incredible poet. All right. Our next poet is Heath Brocker. And uh, yes, um, the poems that uh, I was I had chosen to read are not quite as um, uplifting as as the poems that were read so far. Um, so I've kind of been doing a little moving around here, but I'm going to start off with uh, a poem titled Curriculum that um, oddly enough was the first um, time I was ever nominated for a one of those Best of the Net awards, and I was nominated by uh, none other than Scott Thomas Outler um, when he was editing um, Walking is So Honest but um, I'll get into this poem titled Curriculums. Uh, most of my poems are on the shorter side. Curriculums. I am always, always in my way through life, turnstiling through these days made of illusion and lies. The hamster wheel spinneth eternal, fan rotation and so forth, until I unlatch from this loop to see that circular paths are false, for the truth lives within the spiral to unsnag from the grindstone endlessly turning one must disconnect oneself in order to stop this massively insane friction all right that's the end the second poem I was going to read is titled herd poisoning Another short one. Third poison. There they are, again, amassed in their usual vicinity, all in hordes. Each one so similar to the others, indiscernible as blood in tomato soup. They worship and follow, pointing tradition along the way. The paths of the hordes mingle throughout the guts of centuries. When one horde disagrees with another horde, the trouble begins. Flesh burns and war ripples like a calcium fault line. That thought beckoning in the back of minds for what seems to be forever the question of integrity and myth. This is nothing new. It is the usual. Sometimes doves come, but mostly it's the vultures. Those were two poems from my very first book, and um, this next one is, is, if not the one of the hardest poems 
uh, to read aloud, but uh, I figured how big. Uh, it's titled The Hallucination of Non-Existence. Pleasantry is actually prevailing prison-headed prevalence. Natalie is not a nucleus, brick bracken, bitten, bloody, backwards, burning bulldozer. Inertia equals undone, beginning from the beginning again, finite, finalized when the falter phase fell fast as nothing slow. Reciprocal reconstructions reconvening to revel in ambulatory prescripts. Oiled with pit-pocketed ideas, purloined, pounding outward proximity blossoms, perennial spiral porously pulsed way beyond the past previous penitentiaries of pathetic pondering, pulverized by powerful portions of pensiveness, of pain, of pig's eye, dead-on, damn straight, patterns, perished, proving purest, freedom, truth, escape. From simultaneous existence and non-existence, and then uh, I hadn't planned on reading this other shorter one, um, um, just to keep it more positive. Um, I'm going to read a poem titled "A Letter to Mirrorism." Dear mirrorism of the learned, man-made, rectangular world of monotony. Sneeze into the brain by infectious props of biased proclivity, commercial after commercial, billboard after billboard, teacher after insane teacher. You best be on the lookout. I've been thinking and have discovered how to shake these shackles. I've been swirling upon spirals outward into the great fathomlessness ever since. Sincerely, one of your former slaves. Um, that one was also nominated for one pushing out of woods. This next one says, all these are pretty short, they're not nearly as long as the uh, first reader, but um, I'll go with going to go with um, a poem titled Your Safely Superior Work. You have published the same poem 14,871 times now and all to such critical avail. All the academics agree your mountainous mediocrity of massive mundane missives are accepted before they're even read by the editors. Now that's post-postmodernism's ultimate reward. As for me, I like to fall flat on my face. I like to fail, but fail big. I like to speak rude truths in unconventional ways. I like to hurt and distort words. I like to twist them into clusterfucks of clever maneuver so the reader must ponder the cultivation of their creation. Something tells me that by the end of our lives, we'll know for sure which one of us was the actual poltroon. And uh, I admit, I might have written that poem simply to be able to use the word poltroon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
next one is the new one titled uh, uh, Let Me Know When I'm Falling Over My Time. Oh, yes. Um, no problem. So, uh, just let me know. Um, the phony. Just because you have italicized your life does not give you the right to walk all over the brittle sincerity you have chosen to divorce yourself from. Why, you ask, from out the pile of shiny trinkets you hide beneath? Because no matter how brightly the sun glimmers off the perfectly waxed hood of your Lamborghini, we, the last people of salt, can see right through your fancy facade to the cowering child riddled with fear and self-doubt and apathy and poisonous mirrorism and weakness that is your true self. You have no right to place yourself above us in the hideous hierarchy of humanity that lives only inside your head. And after such a vulgar display of behavior, how dare you? Uh, this next poem um, is another short one. Um, uh, titled To All the Fool Wishes. And this one was most definitely inspired by um, Alan Britt, uh, the great Alan Britt. Um, uh, um, through, a, through a kind of a misunderstanding um, I'm, I won't go into that um, as far as the title but uh, to all the fool wishes entire environs have become transmitters of an over personified manifestation twisting through the multi-dimensional ether like counterclockwise wisteria sprouting from the lungs of ashen children it's the inevitable scorch, the pangful kiss, the curiosity that intellectualized the cat before killing it. Mouths turn the shape of Cheerios. Thank you, Philip. <laughs> and stare at the sky, awestruck, equivalent to some vague description from a biblical passage. And... I'm being kind of a downer here when everyone's trying to go. I'm going to read one. I'll, I'll read one more and then, because I, I didn't stock up on um, any um, more of the uplifting stuff. Um, I'm going to try to, right here, um, <laughs> this one's again, but there's, there's a lot of truth in this poem. I think sort of, um, um, sort of filthy creatures. An eye for an eye and a truth for a truth. You can bandage those war scars, but you cannot hide their botchy skin hues, vestiges of the innocent blood you so recklessly shed. The eye patch may look like a fashion accessory, but I see through it all. I glimpse the terror of that missing eye, frightening children with its voided gaze of sheer violence, honed to the point of communicating lunacy and fear. Now, in the aftermath of your chaos, you play the victim as if there was no such thing as an American terrorist. And yeah. Um, 
I'm going to stop right there because <laughs> I, I brought a lot of dark stuff. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um. Alrighty. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring in your colleagues the, for comment. There's, there's truth from out the dark, you know. There's truth there. You can't yeah. deny those dark thoughts. So very much there's truth in the dark stuff as well. Comments from your colleagues. Thoughts and comments. That was just out of yeah. Oh, out ahead. of space, out of space, Sandy. <laughs> out of space, <laughs> dancing with the stars and the moons. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, Heath, I just, you know, some people would maybe say that the poems are, uh, you know, are rife in what, what would maybe be called existential crisis. But um, yeah. I think There's crisis, though... Is crisis might be my new word for truth. So I view the poems as about existential truth, capital T truth. And in those and in those Great. first three poems, the spiral appeared in every single one of them. And if we go back to the first poem, you know, the hamster wheel, that circular path, the truth lies within the spiral. And it made me, you know, it's making me really think about you know, this past year, but also what I was talking about earlier, that, you know, the past, the present, and the future are their own circular spiral that we're all, that we're all within. And, um, uh, yeah, I really, I really, I really marvel at how um, you talked about the aftermath of chaos, and but the aftermath of chaos to me might be that thing, that Mobius strip that brings us actually back to some semblance of hope. So yeah. I, I really, I found them so, Thanks I found so them really moving poems. Thank you for yeah, sharing that. I'm really glad you picked up on that particular part. Um, uh, circular paths are false, but the truth lives within the spiral. That, that um, it's volumes that, that you picked up on that particular, those particular lines. So thank you. Well, bravo, my friend. Bravo. Well done. Bravo. Bravo. Fantastic. Arshnasani was is unfortunately unable to join us today. Oh no. Oh. Yes, yeah, she's not oh. here now. Maybe she'll show up. But again, due to the the distance oh, in terms of the technology, she's not here. So we'll move on with Don Bukas. Hi, everyone. Thanks for all the excellent uh, reading so far. How do I follow that, Sandy and, and Heath? <laughs> um, right. Before, before I forget, begin, I, um, I'm just going to go through the selections I've made. Uh, the first one is Musically Inspired. It's called Silent Symphony. Our echoes are prehistoric, our human experience melancholic. Millennia molded our past folded memories, now niente. Our oral history still tasse. We are the dust of territorial wars. Scores sacrificed our lives, supposedly ternary, acted out in various parts. Yet our rhythms snuffed out suddenly. We who never saw Earth's light hear the broken notes of a childless mother in a noir night. Her eternal grief dark dolente, as she sings a lullaby dolce. We are the victims of alien diseases, 
medicinal miracles falsely prophesied by eager oracles, our demise painfully calando as they declared us eternally to you so, our swan song pensively penseroso, our sacrifices and omaggio to eons of bravado, our Christ's trumpeting steady staccato as we remind you of erroneous choices made from revolutionary noises. Our passion is valabile. We all, we mostly enjoy it brillante. Our art is abandonata mante as we create acciarezzevole and a hint of bispigliando. It remains a bene placito. Well, that was my take on a symphonic um, overtone there with Silent Symphony. The next one is called Laissez tomber in French, Just Let Go. Unkind whispers penetrate my existence. I clutch at them, but my fingers are too weak. My inner freak giving up slowly beyond the other side of lonely. If only I had the courage to exact psychological carnage, gaining, healing mileage. Instead, I soak it all up, but inside hides a porous cup. Will this emotional sinkhole swallow me whole, deleting my evaporating soul? Others snigger and sneer at my obvious weak veneer, judging my translucent exterior. So when they ask my name, I just utterly weakly say, there's no one here. My body numb with mental stoning, my daily cloning. My essence has lost its sparkling effervescence. What was once my determined resistance has disintegrated into nothingness. I need to release this force in a beast, darkening my brittle psyche. If I am to set myself free, I have no choice but to just let go and rid myself of my noir charcoal choking halo. My next one <clears throat> is Ataraxia, and this will be the last one from my first book, um, published in 2016, Ataraxia. In this ever-changing global village, we all struggle to feel as one. Some blame religion. For others, humanity has not yet begun. We all seek blissful inner serenity, so calm, so sweet, peaceful longevity, a lasting reality. Dissident, explosive voices might hinder our free choices, but a shared mentality will surely protect us from any dark disturbance, even senseless brainwashed reverie. We still aim to find eternal ataraxia, the ultimate state of azure calmness, blissful mindfulness, our history still a murky mystery, our failed human chemistry, blinded, blurred vision, the fallen bowing to devastating submission, causing apocalyptic annihilation. We underestimate our human state, failing to utilize our destined fate, plagued by velvet wars, settling selfish scores, influenced by false, self-appointed scarlet prophets, brainwashing us for their own political profits, yet we somehow find a shared inner rhythm, a soothing hum, 
a necessary quietude, a positive attitude. We yearn to remain ataraxic, obliterated, toxic, permanently optimistic. Let us release our inner liberating fire to finally achieve long-lasting ataraxia, which means a lasting calmness, a lasting peace. Uh, most of my poems deal with um, moments in, in, in human history, moments in politics, and so um, I hope uh, my poems will reflect um, some of that at least. The next one is um, Utopia Burning. Warnings ignored from many a social self-appointed warlord, echoes of dissident discord striking a high-pitched off-key note as hungry flames lick and lash, causing an apocalyptic, molten, urban and suburban foretold mess whispered by familiar oracles, their verbal miracles documenting their fiery cautionary chronicles of systems slowly imploding temperaments, exploding fake veneers and smiles exfoliating as ignorant masses squawk for a helping hand from those witnessing their demise and burning, squirming, shedding acid tears for utopia burning. And so apologies for any um, negative overtones, but I... I do <clears throat> try to, to link into to what's happening in the world, and um, hopefully I will get to a positive one later on. <laughs> right. Um, okay, the next one is called The Speech. The Speech. Shadow Nation. We exist in cold shadows where our fading echoes are drowned by your bulldozers in the name of progress. Yet in the dead of night, you stalk us, hunt us, to delete us, silence us, mock us, bury us, until we float away as ash, just a hush, outcasts. We the mothers, we gave you life, but your journey crossed unknown paths bowing down to greedy gods, sucking your soul dry. But you welcome promised riches, licked bitter molasses with gravy-trained false preachers, forgetting your inherent good essence, resulting in your foretold death sentence. Our grief is no relief. Our warnings faded into nothing as you left us broken, eternally hurting. Vision X, your world is no more. You are here, but in another sphere, another existence, an alternative reality, because of your foolish insistence to enact nuclear annihilation, depleting all nations. You stare at me, but your voice is muted as you attempt to explain your existential burning pain, still searing through your perforated, punctured soul, how you willingly participated in a man-made, selfish, senseless, final war to claim the ultimate earthly prize, ruling the global village. Oh, how wrong you were, thinking you would last your nuclear winter, but you melted each other, deleted each other, destroyed your earthly legacy by, by your insatiable, insatiable hunger for power. 
while here you are, stuck on planet X, destined to find no eternal rest, while the death stars of eons ago further darken this existence, and the light of exploded suns now blind your new vision. Thanks for listening so far. I'm going to read from my latest book, published by um, Heath Brocker of um, his press, Concrete Misfess. And this one is called Child of Color. I'm originally from Cape Town, born in South Africa. And so I have written a lot about my experiences of apartheid um, and equality for all. Child of Color. Earthly existence, universal persistence, one species, our own nemesis, divided development, colonial entrapment, human currency, tented democracy, north, south, east, west, land grab, mankind's, mankind's best authoritarian test, enslaved fest, cursed skin, historical kin, generations asking, Self-appointed king, desperately seeking foreign fertile shores, settling scores, drawing borders, barking orders, divisive policies, dismissed heritage, insecure feelings, shady dealings, self-made apartheid decades of racial heart-wrenching, melting heartache, cunning cultural rape, my beloved cape, masking my childlike hate. Beneath the shade of Table Mountain, my life-giving historical fountain, born from a mixed-race mother, I had no shame being branded child of color. Next one is called Beacon of Light. As shadows dance in the night, I pray for a light to shine bright, birds to guide and protect me. Do you have a gift, can't you see? Whispers cut in the dark. Doubts creep in to cut and tear. Words will guide and protect me. You have a gift, won't you see? Misguided intentions become inventions of the mind, heart and soul. Must believe words can guide and protect me. You are the gift which all would see. Beacon of light shining bright. I think I wrote that that, um, and maybe... Uh, for this purpose, uh, this afternoon, this um, afternoon and this evening, um, I'll dedicate that to all my um, my guests uh, today, because I think that uh, we are all literary literary lights in this world we all live in. Um, please stop me when it's time to to say goodbye. Uh, Right. Okay, sorry, I'm just trying to sort myself out now. This one is called Into the Blue. A golden crust of fossil dust crushes beneath me, softened by infinite time unknown, sand-blown wind caressing me, gently guiding me ever closer hypnotically into the blue, all senses adapting, evolving for a select few, deeper into the azure void, surrendering into a weightless float, 
observed by prehistoric life forms abound. Their curiosity and life force astound. A sudden intrusion amplifies confusion. Liquid womb violently contracting the predator, no illusion. My presence exposed. It catapults me out of the blue. A lonely gull mocks my shame from above as I'm gently aborted away from the blue. I think I'm going to stop there for now. And if there's time afterwards, um, yeah, there'll be time um, if we told to. So thank you all. I think I'll stop there for now. <laughs> thank you, Don. Pleasure. Comments for Don. Amazing as always. <laughs> um, I've always said Don. Don has the perfect uh, voice for readings, <laughs> with um, with the, with his tone and the the accent um, helps uh, just the way he <laughs> flows. If you if you say so, but thank you very much. <laughs> I don't know much, but I know that. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I wanted to. I want. I want. I wanted to share, Don, that I, you know, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, your your poem is so powerful because it speaks to, you know, the, the power of voice and and talking about rising above kind of the noise of oracles and the mm. prophets and who are the who really are the prophets and the oracles and and as a as a as a as a um, as a feminist here in America, um, I'm and a person who, as I said, studies the Titanic, which mm. is deeply connected to man-made hubris. Um, yes. We continue to experience, uh, I think, globally, uh, the, the the challenges of man-made hubris, and I believe it's the poets like yourself who called for those beacons of light. Um, yes. You know, we're the real voices, right? And, Definitely. Um, so I so appreciated all of your body work. And Thank also, you very much. And also bringing in the, um, the diversity of language. Um, yeah. And, and, and then the speaking of truth to power through your own histories. As Thank you, you very much. I appreciate you. that. You're giving me goosebumps. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but, that's, uh, but that's what we're here for. World word weaving right there. I mean, yeah. Uh, top of the top. Um, Don, well, I wanted to I, say I, something. Um, I, I, I wanted to say something, Don. This okay. is Archna. Um, you know, I really loved oh, your hi. poem, Child of Thank Color. Hi. <laughs> I really loved it. I found kind of like, um, you know, a, a summation of history, uh, you know, yeah. man's inhumanity to man, all the stupidities. So I like the way you brought together the isms, you know, colonialism, fascism, um, you know, apartheid. And yeah. so it really had this packed with power. Thank um, you very much. And, and also it's born out of personal experience. Yes, I think definitely. That's what, yeah, and, and, and that's what really made the poem, makes the poem significant. So thank I appreciate you. your feedback. Thank you so much. <laughs> Good to hear your voice. All right. <laughs> well, the, 
Poetry gods are with us today in terms of technology. Archana is here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great thing. So I'd like to turn the program over to my friend, Archna Sai. I am so honored and delighted to be reading for the first time, you know, non-visually <laughs> on Blog Talk Radio. And also really exciting to be reading on World Poetry Day. So I'm really grateful for this opportunity, Michael, and I also want to thank all those who are listening in on this special day. Um, I'd, I'd like to begin with a rather simple post from my collection called Another Nirvana, which was published in 2018 in Toronto uh, by Mavenzi House. Um, and this poem I'd like to dedicate to um, you know, the unspoken poetry that I believe lives in all of us. So it's called Earth from Space. This poem was inspired by a satellite photograph of the Earth at night. Um, so this is how it goes. Astronomers will turn poets and poets shift perspective when in space. Relinquishing pains to the night sky when they look down on Earth at night and see ocean as black soil of one earth, and earth as seamlessly swirling, indigo speckled with starlight, they will give a burial once and for all to the multicolored globe of the divided mind. Astronomers will turn poets and poets sages when they view earth night from space. All men are not astronomers but we know how to navigate. All men are not poets, but there is unspoken poetry in all of us. Let's all march into space. So um, the second poem I'll read again from the same collection uh, called My Immaculate Conception. Most of my poetry is of a, a, a highly personal nature and it's kind of more interior rather than connected to historical and political events. But it's changing. The poetry is changing over time. So, and I, I find that motherhood is a very a strong theme in my in my poetry. And it's so, so this is one of them called My Immaculate Conception. I have a child. She is the aggregate of all the men I have loved and the dross of my flesh of my flesh. In that brooding space which yields to everything, she was born. Like a ripe red rose, she incarnated from the dross of my flesh. She has been born and has died a thousand times. Tonight, she is alive, doing what she always does, haunting my house and breaking my sleep and eating her death to incarnate endlessly. This is how she plays with me. Tonight, she is alive. She stands in front of the mirror, trying on faces for tonight's play. She wears all my faces, but is not mine. She is not her father's. Her fading fathers stare back at her, baffled, struggle to recognize her. So, 
The next poem uh, I want to read is called Creation Interrupters. And it's about uh, the connection of um, art and life. Uh, I find a lot of my poems um, play with this theme. Creation Interrupters. And, you know, it's a kind of (laughs) um, a take on coitus interrupters. I think of us as Rodin's lovers fused in a kiss, and anonymous painters Radha and Krishna beneath the blue sky looking into one another's eyes, an upturned yabium left forgotten in an ancient cave, the legs of wisdom tightening around compassion's waist. We break out of marble, canvas, bronze, and wish to create something new, us. You take the final moments of my hesitation into your brush, conflagrations of red and golden light turning into muddying yellow, fire-melting eyes disturb your canvas. I take your blending, bleeding colors and give them a voice. The voice turns into the chanting of priests, guttural speech, the sound of crackling fire at the core. We enter the beginning of time, and then you disappear. You are not quite there. You are the one I have been waiting for. Only you could have called making love to me a benediction. All is reverberation and rhythm. This is the perfect moment. We are about to begin. Come to me now. So um, these three poems were from another Nirvana. Um, Now I'll read out some poems from my uh, debut collection called First Fire. And I'll read a poem called Plants Rewrite History. You know, I find that I've been attracted to outsider figures like, you know, the rotting dead and a lot of creatures of darkness like Lucifer, Count Dracula and so forth. And I think plants fit into that category. So I wrote this poem sometime in the mid 90s, you know, without realizing that um, (laughs) plants will become the heroes on the planet. Um, I just have a request. Um, There's a very heavy breathing. coming from someone and if one could just, um, uh, I don't know, there's kind of a really heavy breathing, which uh, uh, I I couldn't, um, so some kind of a malfunction on the mic perhaps. So here's this poem, Plants Rewrite History. Eyeless and without a yawn, We still see the dawn breaking. Our chlorophyll has never slept since the earth began. Move over, two-legged man, and see that we are the first pagans, raising our arms to the blazing sun, eating sweet mouthfuls of earth. Our every meal is a prayer, is a meal. Have you ever heard a scratching sound on the pages in our bark? watched how the soundless calligraphy of creepers verges onto a word? In your church, 
why do you never sing the mystery of our bark that is your flesh, our sap that is your blood? Oh, our kingdom reigns yet in coal and oil and every seed and the fossils that lie beneath the sea. Once we danced upon the earth, but for you we stood still, became motionless between sky and earth so that you could move and dream. While you crowned yourself with thorns, our toes turned into roots, shuddered, and were still. O sleeping, heaving, million-eyed beast, so blind he will never see, so now we reveal. Prometheus was not a man, but we. We stole the fire of the sun, shooting it as sap through our hundred-armed history into your dazed open mouth and you suddenly opened your eyes and forged a wheel that's plans to write history um the next poem is a short poem called how zan lost his paradise my African-Canadian friend Zan has this habit of introducing himself with an account of how he lost his paradise. Zan's paradise was a wish into which he walked just after Genesis and spotted unfallen Black Eve and Adam sitting blissfully under the apple tree. I knew it. The scientists were right. Mother Eve is a black woman, he yelled, and tearfully rushed forward to embrace his own kind and the origin of us all. When Black Eve spotted him running towards her and shrieked, you must be the devil. <laughs> so this is, you know, how uh, in the power of stereotypes. Stereotypes, I feel, are internalized not only by someone from another race and culture, but uh, sometimes, unfortunately, by by persons from that particular race culture um, as well, with unfortunate consequences. Um, okay. <clears throat> My next poem is called "She Who Tears Apart Thought." And, you know, I mentioned in my bio that uh, some of my poems are of a spiritual nature. So um, way back, I had what is called, a, you know, Kundalini Awakening. It's a spiritual Kundalini Awakening. You know, Kundalini, for those who are not aware, is, uh, is evolutionary life force, which lies at the base of our spine. Uh, it is present in every atom of the universe. It propels it. Uh, uh, it, it's an all-knowing intelligence and when people have a spontaneous awakening it means evolutionary force uh, feels you're ready you're ready for that spiritual journey so I have been on that journey and which has kind of deepened further um, starting last year so this poem is born out of that experience and I wrote it in 1994 here it goes um, this is one of the poems which is on, on the divine feminine um, so it's something which I discovered in myself and encountered. It's not something I read in a book uh, or, or because I'm from India and, and that I'm, I was born into a Hindu family. So I just wanted to contextualize that because I knew nothing about Kundalini. I have absolutely no idea. I never heard the word when it happened to me. 
this is the poem. She who tears apart thought, tore me into two, chewed me up, spat me out new. She showed me how to go beyond my own mind when she danced up my spine. When a few moments before I lay pining for a mortal man's love, she yoked me to the source. The flesh fell away like stagnant mud when the lotus bloomed. Petals of light killed desire at the node. She rose and rose. She rose like the tossing river of nectar rushing to the source. She rose like the sap of the Ashwa tree rushing to the roots, merging into the blue. She rose and rose. She was the silver grin of lightning, ripping the blinds that were my eyes. The flooding darkness turned into light. She was the warrior bride rising to wound her groom sleeping above. She was the dove ascending by my side. She rose and rose. Who knows who was I and who was she when she rose and rose, unfurled her toes into swords, tore me, chewed me, spat me out, spun me round and round till we were lost in that one humming syllable of sound. Um, you know, I, I believe that the divine feminine is something which connects all of us, humanity. It's not something which is only present in women. It's present in in, in everything, every every living creature, in men, women, um, you know, in every living thing. So I think, uh, and it's increasingly on the rise that the idea that divinity can be represented as feminine, I think is a very powerful idea and it will serve to set right the balance between the masculine and feminine. And that's why I think it's very significant. Um, there's another poem, again, uh, born out of the same experience in 1994, and it's called Sap is My Heritage. It's the last poem in my debut collection. Things that cannot be seen belong to me. Ether of invisibility takes me closer to you, Lord. The gap between the high roof of your church and I is the ladder of flame that lifts the ash I call my body. I am what the tree cannot contain and therefore exudes. Touched by the fragrant air, I harden into being. Slowly dying, I am only a possibility. Finally, round and bulbous and unbreathing, I come to be. Sap is my heritage. Uh, these were the poems from my um, from my debut collection, First Fire. Uh, I'd like to read a more recent poem, and it's called uh, <clears throat> it's called um, "I, Mother of Moksha Rain Tree." Um, Moksha in Sanskrit means liberation, and Raintree is a First Nations last name. 
This poem is about my imaginary daughter, whom I longed for, who was, according to me, supposed to have been born. I left it up to the cosmos to manifest her. Um, it's also born out of the experience of being what the world calls a stepmother, which I believe is a misnomer. I do not think that any man or woman can be. Uh, a, I don't. I do. I do not believe that a step parent can truly be a parent. And so it's born out of these these thoughts and and my own experience. I, mother of moksha rain tree. There should be a category of another kind of excluded waiting outside what we call a home, looking in through a window, like Frankenstein in Mary Shelley's novel, learning the ABC of not belonging. Don't call me a stepmother. I'm not a step anything, and I'm definitely not a mother. In another poem, I will tell you why I am and yet I am not the other. For now, let me say, I'm just a woman married to a man with a grown-up child. That does not make me a mother. Adhering to a concept, not having the experience, makes me the other, yes, the other which I refuse to be. I could have had a child, but don't you see, it would take away from the first love, money, and property. Those who have reproduced in the comfort of their homes, adopted, had the money to commission a a child through surrogacy. Don't tell me to sponsor a child of world vision or love my nephews or nieces or serve in an orphanage. I'm not Mother Teresa, are you? Don't tell me, oh, you're so lucky, you can travel whenever you want. You've never had to wake up in the middle of the night to change soiled nappies or sacrifice your career. Did you know if Mephistopheles existed, I would sell my soul to him to have what many of you take for granted? Only those who never wanted a child can be called child-free. For now, I am childless, and yet looking everywhere, looking for my daughter, Moksha Raintree. You were supposed to be real by now. You were supposed to have been reciting poems in Ojibwe and Sanskrit have combined the Vedic fire and Anishinaabe moon ceremony, be speaking in tongues and have the heart of a mystic. I'm waiting for you, Moksha Raintree, on the thought bridge of the 24th century, which only those who have paid their dues to compassion, love, and justice can cross, where borders of countries dissolve, leaving only poets, seers, non-violent revolutionaries, outward-looking mystics, and I, mother of Moksha Raintree. So that is 
I, Mother of Moksha, Vintri. I'm also, uh, I thought I might as well mention, I'm writing a manifesto, which kind of brings together these thoughts, um, a kind of manifesto which talks about how I think the idea of step-parent and the idea of step-family and blended family is highly unrealistic and, and does not do justice to the... Um, you know, subordinate character, uh, you know, subordinate position of the step parent. So I think it's it's more realistic to talk about it in terms of a new family constellation emerging. And I think and that there has to be new conversation on this. So I hope to complete this manifesto. <laughs> I don't know if I will, but I'm still trying. Um, if I still have, uh, Michael, how am I doing for time? Do I have time for one or two more? You have time for one more. Okay. Okay, so my last poem is a recent one, and it's kind of connected to Tibet. Um, I have a high regard and love for the Tibetan civilization and its people. But this is more personal in nature. It's called When You Played Your Flute. When you played your flute, the prison of my being opened. I walked through parting doors upon doors of clouds made of heaven. When you played your flute, my heart was the pagoda flower that bloomed on the highest plateau. When you played your flute, the air on the third floor of Dripung Loseling side, thinking of our paths that almost crossed. When you played your flute, I remember how our hero souls were sent out of Bardo land on separate arduous journeys to deserve the gift of our meeting. When you played your flute, I saw Tibet through your eyes and wondered could I be your Tibet? So that was my last poem. Um, thank you so much again, Michael. And thank you, my colleagues, and for everyone listening in. And happy World Poetry Day to everybody. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Comments for Arshna. I, love, I, re I, I really love the... Oh, sorry. Uh, the poem uh, about tra uh, transcendence and and the uh, the lotus and the the, the one syllable, so Aum. I'm assuming um, uh, that and 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 the other poem with uh, uh, Prometheus saying Prometheus, we or us, and 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 the and the um, twenty seven arms, uh, twenty seven arrows sh shot into the you. mouth. Um, that was that was really great. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Beautiful that. work, Archna. Beautiful work. It was very cultural and um, learning a lot about um, views from from that part of the world, Archna. And so, thank you for that. Um, right. thank, thanks a lot for your comments. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Our final poet of the day of this World Poetry Day is Scott Thomas Outler. Scott, are you with me? 
Absolutely. First of all, thank and please you take your time. so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today, Michael. Yes. Happy Poetry Day to everyone in the world that's listening in. Uh, my name is Scott Thomas Outler. I'm joining the show from the suburbs outside of Atlanta where I live and wander around the various parks writing poems. So I'm going to be sharing a few of those today. It's been a pleasure listening to the four previous guests. Uh, Sandy wanted to say congratulations on the release of your new book after two decades. That's quite a journey, and I'm sure you're excited about that fruition. Uh, Heath really enjoyed the line. Uh, you have published the same poem 1,400-some-odd times. Had me cracking up with that one. Don, always a pleasure to hear you read that great voice of yours, commanding powerful performance. And Archna really enjoyed the spiritual nature of your work earlier. And glad that you were able to join the show from India and really bring the whole World Poetry Day theme and energy uh, into full form. And being from India, that reminded me of something that I wanted to mention here at the top. Uh, one of the projects um, I worked on earlier this year was with Setu Mag, which is a bilingual journal that publishes in Hindi and English each month. And for the last three years, they've asked me to come on and be the guest editor for their Western Voices edition. So I want to thank Sunil Sharma and Anurag Sharma there at Setu Mag for allowing me that opportunity again this year. We had 31 great writers in the issue, and that was released earlier this month. So if anyone wants to check that out, I highly encourage it. I'm going to be reading some poems today from the collection I've been working on for the past two years. It's called Evermore. It's written in collaboration with my co-author, great friend Mihaila Melnik in Italy. And we've been writing the poems for two years. The last three months have been in a creative fever as we put the final touches on it, and it's set to be released later this year through Concrete Mist Press. This is one of the early pieces in the book, encapsulates some of the themes that come up throughout the collection, so I thought I'd start with it. Ham and Havarti on Sourdough. This is a scripture about animals on the farm, of which I am one, a chronicle of their actions, swine and lion factions, a fascination with the trowel. This is a tale about the moo cow, golden milk and rawhide leather, a howl from the slaughtering fields, twelve score of eggs divide in fractions, a scrap of cake for the holy geese. This is a rant about cheese in the cellar, of rats and wine where weasels roam, a chant about foxes lost in the henhouse, pecking order, clutched pearls and crown, a blanket from the shearing season. This is a vision of snakes in the cud, the smell of skunk and rabbit blood, a warning about the spit-shined blade, hyenas squeal and curse their fate, a gavel in the eyes of owls. That was Hammond Havarti on Sourdough. It was nominated for Best of the Net by Gnashing Teeth Publishing in 2020. 
This next piece is another one from Evermore, and one of the great benefits of working on this collaborative project with Mihaila is that I no longer have to bear all the weight on my own when doing readings, so I'm happy to be debuting a couple of her poems from the collection here today as well. This is The Gracula by Mihaila Melnik. A bird of tar flew low, twirling the dust and perched on my thigh, uplifting the gown as the branches above rustled and twined. A worm took a bite from the hanging apple. All this madness occurred under the flickering tongues of a street lamp fire in a dream with no slumber when the worms... Never mind them. I slowly caressed the feathered creature that told me old stories about men and women making the sign of victory. Want to know what else she said through the chords of a violin? The Gracula's tongue was raw, although enticing, and conveyed to me a few toxic concepts. Her words were nothing but the worm in the apple, for some birds speak too much, and of humans have no mercy. That was the Gracula. Another collaborative project that I'm very excited about um, coming up later this year is written along with Don Biaquez and Heath Brocker, another reason why I'm so excited about appearing alongside them here today. And we've had this book in mind for a few years now, and it's starting to churn and come towards fruition. This is one of the pieces from my section of the book. It's called Headlight Fever. I wasted all my venom too early. Now I'm a stuffed koala, bathing in the sun, baking eucalyptus, laughing at the world, spin round and round. You told me every flashpoint needs flint to spark. Now my hair is on fire. Rip off the covers, rest in the ash of your laurels, waiting for the lesson to burn at will. That piece, Headlight Fever, was also recently turned into a piece of music produced by Elise Kaiser, a pianist in Greece, who has, over the last few months, taken on a few of my poems and turned them into something much greater than they were before just having my simple words attached to them. So I'm very appreciative of that collaboration. 2021 here in the new Roaring Twenties is the year of working with my friends. And so it's a wonderful time. I'm going to dive back into Evermore now. This takes place in the book when the plot begins to take on more political machinations of planks and webs. None of this belongs to you, cried the cow. We'll store the collective soup to stew and stir within my udder, and I'll squeeze out small servings, if you beg, each to their proper portion by my holy, divine decree. Nothing is private or sacred now, mood the cow. Here where I roam, no, this is true. Every bovine eye is set and spying on all you do. This 
next piece comes from a section of Evermore where we travel through a portal back into the past and reflect on some memoirs. This is one of my pieces, Sucking Vapors. Back when I was a boy, riding around with my buddies, his dad drove us home from the baseball field. Whenever we'd pass a cemetery, he'd tell me to hold my breath or else the spirits of the dead would enter my body through the lungs. I'd play along and pretend as if I believed such dire warnings, occasionally having to really go the distance if we happened to get stopped at a streetlight situated directly beside a graveyard. These days, I'm a bit more daring and open to the occult, so as I drove by a burial ground this morning, I took a big huff of oxygen, inhaling as many ghost fumes as possible because I'm constantly in search of the next fresh dose of inspiration no matter where the energy might originate. It's a bit odd, though, because ever since the seance, I've had an intense craving for cornbread and black-eyed peas, as well as a strange urge to call Frank and tell him to turn the stove off. All I can think of now is, who the hell is Frank? This is another piece by Mihaila Melnik from Evermore about love. About love, today, I can't say much. It's more or less abstract. It comes and goes like a fire in my lungs that burns till I spit blood. What else could I express? Love is around my neck and I wear it like a scarf, sometimes so tight that it suffocates my size. I wanted to take a moment and mentioned that I host a podcast called Songs of Salah every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern right here on Blog Talk Radio at 17 Numa Radio Channel. So I really appreciate being a part of this show today where I can take my host cap off and have just been able to relax and listen to a lot of great poetry and now read a few here at the end. So thank you, Michael, for that as well. This is another piece by Mihaila Melnik, How It Comes, How It Goes. Everyone leaves a scar on my skin, on your skin, in my heart, in my soul, here and now or a million miles away on some shore. Everyone takes bits of me and gives all or nothing in return, in advance, in vain, in this life or in another one. Who knows? Everyone craves and loves, hates and cries, just like me, just like you like them all. Everyone tries so hard, or not at all, and dies young or even old, but still dies and then burns or lies in a hole. Everyone is here now, or has been, or will be one day in time after time in the lap of some god. And we walk our own road with that key hanging gravely from our necks in spite of all wars, and in spite of the word no. And we meet, if we meet, but in case we're alone, we still dance, and we love, and we help, and we feed, and we share, and we set free, and we give birth, and we accept everything, how it comes, how it goes. This next piece is from Evermore as well, entitled Scorched. A shoelace unraveled, loosening threads, bark, bleed, trip, and fall, 
It's how the story raptures in a tizzy, a web wound too tightly, intricate entanglement, pulsing layers of silken expansion traverse the void to tempt the hand of fate. Consider the fact, everything you've ever done was just good enough in the moment to slide by with a shrug and aw shuck smile while not causing a fuss. But once the scales have finished weighing all the sand and the sugar and the salt from your deeds, more will be demanded of your actions than simply placating karma, for life transcends the game of patty cake and rings of roses. And some lovers wax poetic from their hearts, and some philosophers pontificate ad nausea, and some priests prattle on about the soul, but some ideas are born from burning bowels, and these leave a trail of ash along their path. If anyone's interested in checking out more of my work, they can do so at 17numa.com. And I've got one more piece here tonight in celebration of World Poetry Day. This is the opening piece from my book, Abstract Visions of Light, available through Alien Buddha Press. Transcending Definitions. Art is not an institution. It is an inner fire born out of those whose eyes pierce deeply into hidden, burning beauty. Art is not a class taught by academia. It is a holy vibration pulsing through the veins of those who sense the truth of this world's perfect purity. Art is not a transaction. It is a soulful expression that has no choice but to be released as a reflection of the source. Art is not a sales pitch. It is an intense emotion coupled with a vision of crystalline transcendence that ruptures open new dimensions, is not yet ready for the grave. It is a raging protest against the mortal flesh that sings the sweetest melody about overcoming life's suffering. And in that piece, there is a line, art is not a sales pitch, but do just want to mention that everyone on this show does have books for sale and that are available. So if anyone enjoyed any of the artist's work tonight, please do go check out their work and order some of their books. Thank you so much, Michael. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Comments for Scott. I loved your poem on art. I think it's very powerful. One of the most powerful poems I've heard. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, also very poignant. When you Thank talk you so about much. art and suffering, it's beautiful. I really appreciate that. I just want to say comment. this. I just want to say to Scott that um, his poetry is very daring, uh, forward-thinking, futuristic, and looking back at the past and stratospheric. I've learned a lot, Scott, about your bending of words, your um, your capacity to go further and beyond. So thank you very much for your inspiration. Thank you, my friend. Um, Scott, I just wanted to add something, and also, um, you know, for the, you know, for the people listening in, and also wanted to respond to, uh, you know, you said that I'm from India. You know, I think geography is now 
sort of sending me into a kind of existential crisis. I just wanted to clarify that I'm reading from India, but as a poet, I only identify with Toronto. Actually, I'm not part of any literary community in India. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. Uh, yeah All right. I, uh, yeah, I just wanted to add, I actually discovered India and Tibet and First Nations in Toronto. So, just stop here. <laughs> awesome. Love Toronto. Been right. there a couple of times. Uh, great scene there. Well, let me, let, let me ask this question. Today is World Poetry Day, as we all know it. What is the role of a poet in modern-day society? So much is happening. What is the poet? What is our role? R- right now, I, I, I feel in... in to a degree, it's, I think it's always been this, but is to uh, expose truth and 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 do it in, in obviously some kind of aesthetically pleasing way. But um, uh, I kind of, as far as my writing goes, I I like to try to look in in different areas where I'm I think no one else. Is look for you know, explore, expand and just kind of push forward. Um, you know, and and uh, and there's a there's an aspect of um you know um uh, society within that too and just pushing for equality across the board. Um I think to a degree I mean that could be said throughout all of history, uh, poetic history. Very nice. Others, what is our role? I think um, for me it will be to just keep going and and exposing, uh, you know, the truth of um, what is the untruth as well out there. There's so many misconceptions to be put right, so many false locks and, and, like I said, oracles out there. We need to just push on, I think, as writers to, to just be very frank and forthcoming and uh, not be afraid and give others the power and the hope of words. I think that's my my, my uh, point to make for now. The power of words to keep giving. The power of you know. words. I like, I like that. Anyone else? The role of a poet in modern day society. I, I, Michael, um, I think I, I, I feel similarly. I'd say um, that I feel my role is to speak the truth speak the truth as I see it, as I experience it. And I would add to um, words to transform, to transform. So I think um, as, you know, as we write a poem, as the poet writes a poem, the first transformation is inner transformation. And when it's shared with the public, it has the potential to transform the listener. This is the hope that the words will transform. Mm You know, I'm floored by the talent on this on this call. Um, I want to thank everyone for for being here today or tonight. I, I'm just so pleased. It's just been a fulfilling moment for me, and I want to thank all of you. I want to thank Sandy Yanon, Heath Brocker, Arsh Nasani, Don Bokers, Scott Thomas Butler. I say to everyone, celebrate World Poetry Day. Celebrate every day as Poetry Day. And goodbye and thanks to all of you.
Take care, Thank everybody. you, Bye. Michael. Thank you, and Bye. goodbye to everyone. Bye. <laughs> Yes, thank Bye. you so Goodbye, much. Everybody. Everything is amazing. Yes, and celebrate every day. Every day. Why not? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Great stuff. Great stuff, everyone. Well done. Well done. All right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Michael. Bye. It worked. Yay. <laughs> Michael, Michael, everybody, Michael, pat yourselves on the back. Michael. It worked. <laughs> yes. He's sorry. <laughs> Michael, your laughter is infectious. I didn't look anything up, bro. Pop the champagne. Pop the champagne. Pop the champagne. Bye. 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 With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.